This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, sage advice, take what you need, and dump the rest. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and we all know people who think they know everything. Whether you're having issues on the job or in the bedroom, there's always that one friend or family member who thinks they have the solution to every possible situation. Well, today, I've gathered two thought leaders who stay in their lanes when it comes to giving advice, but their credentials can back them up. Nyasha West is the principal attorney at West Law Firm, where she specializes in business law, family law, and bankruptcy. She's currently disrupting the legal industry by implementing the same strategies used by tech companies to help startups with their legal needs and providing business strategies. She's licensed to practice in Maryland, D.C., and Colorado. So if you're located in any of those jurisdictions, you're in for a real treat. If not, it's okay. We're still going to pour in a lot of information to you this morning. Now, welcome to the show, Nayasha. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yay. All right. Now, I'm super excited to have you with us um, because I just realized that we've never had somebody that was a business lawyer or a family lawyer on our show. So we have so much to cover, and this is well overdue. Um, Now, before we get started... I just want to put out a disclaimer that what we talk about here does not necessarily mean that it's applicable to you in your situation. You should definitely seek legal advice for your particular situation. Okay. All right. You agree? I agree. All right. So let's get started. Okay. Hey, girl. Hey, how are you? (laughs) I am doing well. Now, because we recognize that... um, I feel like everybody has something um, going on in their lives where they are always like, yo, I wish I had a lawyer that I could lean on or that I could talk to or, you know, kind of just have them for listening ear. So we're going to have a conversation. So hopefully we kind of tap into possible questions that people might have. Is that okay? That sounds good to me. All right. So. First, I want to say congratulations, because this year you'll be celebrating, what, 10 years of being in business? Yes, I opened uh, my firm in January of 2009. Oh, so this is 10 years. This is 10 years. Congratulations. All right. So what led you to pursue a career in law? So I got married really young. And I had a son when I was 23 years old. And then I ended up getting divorced about 10 months after my son was born. And once we got divorced, I realized that just because my son didn't have two parents, then it mean that he shouldn't live the lifestyle that I thought that he should be leading Mm -hmm. um, prior to getting divorced. So I said, I need to... Uh, make enough money to replace the income that I'm losing by getting divorced. And I had always wanted to go to law school. So that meant that I had to pick up my son, move from California back to New York where my family was, um, get myself together, and then go to law school. Um, After I went to law school, I started working for some big firms, and then the recession hit. And I figured that... um, 
with the recession hitting, it would be a good time for me to focus on bankruptcy because those um, were going to be people who were most in need of my services. Mm -hmm. And I could go out on my own and be kind of like a stay-at-home mom and business owner Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, give my son the life that I thought was best for him. Now, at this time, were you still in New York with family or were you in D.C., Colorado? Like, where were you? Uh, So I started out in California. um, And then when I got divorced, I moved back to New York. And then I decided to come to Howard to go to law school. So Mm -hmm. I was in D.C. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So after I graduated from Howard, I took the Maryland bar. So I practiced state law and federal law in Maryland. And then in D.C., I just practiced federal law. All right. So... The reason why I asked, like, where were you in proximity to the family is as a single mother, you were not afraid to go out on your own and to start your business. A lot of times, whether people are single parents or not, there's this fear of, you know, pulling that security blanket from up underneath them. And that security blanket being a regular check. So what was your motivation or encouragement to still, you know, pursue your own business? So when I came down here to go to Howard, my family followed me. Um, So my sister went to Howard Law School with me, and my mother came down, and she went to Howard School of Social Work to get her master's degree. (laughs) Okay. So I kind of had my support system with me. Um, And then after I graduated from law school and finished working with the big firms, I started working with a smaller firm. Um, And that's where I learned bankruptcy. And I was able to learn from the owner's business model. Um, And so I was able to quickly get enough clients in the door so that I didn't have a gap in my paycheck. And plus, I took some clients with me when I left. Okay. Well, that's always a way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how difficult was it for you to transition um, from that corporate structure to being, uh, you know, a solopreneur? So it wasn't really difficult for me because I don't like, uh, I don't really like authority. (laughs) So uh, every time I would go into work and somebody would tell me you had to do this, this and that, I would be thinking, you know, we have the same education, um, We've I've overcome a bunch of obstacles. I don't really need to be here working for somebody, um, you know, billing at this, this, whatever rate it was that I was billing and only taking a portion of it home mm-hmm. when I could be working for myself and keeping all of what I'm billing less my expenses. Right. So it wasn't very difficult for me because I don't, I, I really don't, I don't like answering to other people. Now, okay. So pricing is always a thing. Um, no matter what industry you're in. And I feel like as an attorney, most people are familiar that attorney fees, their hourly rates are way more than, you know, the everyday person, like what even I would charge to, you know, help somebody with their social media per se, right? right? Were you ever intimidated or afraid to charge what you felt like you deserved or what you knew your previous companies were, you know, creating as your billable rate? 
So when I first started out and I was doing only bankruptcies, I charged what the what everybody else in the market was charging. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't afraid to go out and charge what everyone else was charging because I knew that that's what the market would bear. Um, I knew that I had a service that people needed, and so I knew that they would come in and pay that price. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I um, have an added business um, law to my practice mm-hmm. I was a little bit afraid of charging my hourly rate because I work with small businesses and I work with startups. And these are businesses that don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So they are not going to be able to um, handle paying like $250 an hour, especially when that cost could fluctuate. Mm -hmm. So then that's when I came up with the subscription service. And so with my subscription service, I work with businesses and startups at a lower hourly rate. And um, I also offer monthly packages. So this allows them to access legal services, but at a fixed rate. So they know what their rate is going to be every month. And so how much access do they have to you? Or that depends on the package that they go with. There are a bunch of different packages. So the lowest package starts at about two hours per month. Mm -hmm. um, And then it goes up to about 10 to 15 hours per month. So that's essentially like how you are disrupting the legal system and utilizing that tech model that, you know, we mentioned earlier. Right. I think it's really important to for um, small businesses to work with lawyers, especially in the beginning before they need lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but if the rates are exorbitant, then act, usually what happens is that legal services are the last thing that business business owners think of. Mm-hmm. So if I can lower my rate um, and offer them the same quality services, then they're getting the benefit of having a lawyer on board so that they um, you know, can take care of all of their legal needs before they have a pressing legal issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can do so knowing every month this is what my... Uh, this is what my legal bill is going to be. And this is how many hours I have to talk to the attorney. And then if they need to go over those hours, then they can always, um, I guess, buy more time Mm -hmm. at a lower rate. Now, is that just a rate to talk to you or is that rate like, hey, I have this new contract that I need you to look over or to draw up? Does that include that? Or, and I know we don't have to go into all the packages, but I'm just curious is it just consultation or actually action items as well? So, the monthly rate is action items. Okay. Um, but if you just have a question, then those are free. You can email me questions all day long. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I know there's a lot of business owners out there like, yo, I can't wait till they get to the part where we share her information. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, <clears throat> along, uh, with the consulting businesses, have there been any trends that you've seen with um, times in which small businesses end up needing legal advice and it's a little too late? So I just added business um, law to my practice this past year. I haven't had any people come, any clients come to me where it's too late. Okay. I can imagine it would be too late where you are. So if you're a startup, if you've been out meeting with investors and maybe you're not using the non-disclosure agreements and maybe those investors are unscrupulous and they um, 
I don't want to use the word steal, but if they probably misappropriate yeah, <laughs> your ideas and then, you know, because they have more money, they're able to implement them sooner than you can. Mm-hmm. That may be a situation where you probably should have had a lawyer to begin with so you can get that non-disclosure agreement mm-hmm. before you start having conversations about your business or your idea with, with other people who are not on your team. Now... I feel like this goes into my next question. Um, Do you have a couple um, situations that are avoidable? Like, I feel like this is avoidable, having a non-disclosure agreement. Do you have any other um, avoidable situations that, you know, you encourage your clients to make sure, like, make sure you do this, this, and this? You do these three things, like you're good in this particular area. Anything like that? Um, So I encourage my clients to um, have a a bank of contracts that they can use when they start dealing with different vendors um, so that they are not um, getting into these verbal agreements with vendors um, so that they can have something in writing when Mm -hmm. and if the time comes that they need to um, go to court. Um, I encourage my clients to choose the appropriate business structure at the beginning. Um, A lot of times, especially with startups, not so much small businesses, but startups are often tech companies who don't think about um, the legal side at all. So they're not thinking, do I need an LLC? Do I need a um, S Corp or anything like that? So get your Um, form your entity properly to begin with. Um, And also with startups, I would definitely advise them that they need to assign their intellectual property to their company. Um, And so this is so that um, in the event that one of the investors, in the event that they are able to get funding, the investor is going to be looking for their intellectual property to be assigned to the company as opposed to the owner still having um, control of the intellectual property. So it would be entity formation, have a bank of contracts, and assign your intellectual property to the, to the business. Okay. Very good. All right. Now, you said that you um, essentially went out on your own while your son was very young. Yes. How difficult was that? For me, it wasn't difficult because um, I think it was because of the type of parent that I knew that I wanted to be. Um, so I have been raised um, in a single parent household and I didn't want my son to be raised in a single parent household, but things happened. So I became a single parent. Um, but I knew that at the end of the day, when my son was older and now he's almost 21, I could look back and I could either have been a great lawyer or a great mother. And so it was more important to me to be a great mother. So I chose the area of practice that I was in because it allowed me to essentially be a stay-at-home mom while also earning an income. So it was very important to me that I didn't miss any of my son's soccer games or you know award ceremonies or anything. Um, so the fact that I had a business that allowed me to do that, no matter the sacrifices that I had to make, um, made it easier to go out on my own. That's great. Because I know that's definitely one of the struggles that a lot of small businesses, uh, small business owners who are women have, you know, deciding, okay, well, how am I going to balance all of these different things that I'm being called to do? 
Um, and so the fact that you were able to implement something where you could stay home, you could still participate and be um, a stellar mom, I, I think that's absolutely awesome. And I congratulate you oh, and applaud you. you for that. Thank you. Um, but I want to say that I did I did have my support system here. So right. <laughs> I was still able to pick up the phone and call my mother and say, um, you need I'm to come busy. Get him. Yeah, could you, <laughs> you know, could you step in for me? And right. she would she would do it in a minute. And that village is so important. It's so important. Okay. So business brings wins and lessons. And I say lessons opposed to losses. What helps you going through um, as you go through like the difficult times in business? Uh, what helps me? So I think it's knowing that there are other women out there who have done what I've done um, and they've been successful. Um, so when I'm sitting in my office about to have a nervous breakdown, <laughs> then I like, so recently I'm like, well, look at Michelle Obama. Like she didn't have the easiest of upbringings. Mm-hmm. Um, she had obstacles to overcome. She had terrible days, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she pushed through it so that she can come through on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm always telling myself, so this is hard right now. Um You've never really failed at anything, so there's no reason to believe that you're going to fail now. And next week, when this is no longer a problem, then you'll be able to look back on it and and be grateful that you didn't give up. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's perfect. Um, now, later in the show, you know, we'll do our moments from the valley. So I'm not going to ask you your valley moment just yet. But um, I think it's good to have an understanding of you know, everybody has bad days. Everybody have moments of, you know, fear where it's like, yo, how am I going to get out of this? Or what in the world was I thinking and even doing this in the beginning? Right. Um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel or on the other side. And it's just a matter of pushing through until you get there. I agree. Now, building a sustainable business can be pretty tricky. What would you say are three tools that you have in your toolkit um, to establishing and executing a successful law firm? So my law firm was actually closed down from 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. So I am, I feel like I'm restarting right now. Okay. Um, and in that year, it seems like everything has changed. So I feel like I am learning all over again. Um, what has been working for me thus far is networking, like excessively networking. Um I was reluctant to start blogging, but apparently I have to blog. Um, And then paying for advertising because um, I don't blog and I don't do all the things that my marketing uh, people tell me that I should do. (laughs) Um, I don't have um, like organic search engine optimization, so Mm -hmm. I have to pay for marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I know that for me in 2019, what I'm going to be doing a lot more of is networking because networking has been paying huge dividends. Um, And then definitely- And what kind of networking are you doing? So what I'm doing now is meeting with everybody. So I've joined some meetup organizations. I've um, joined some bar organizations and actually started attending the events, not just paying the dues. Um, And so that means just going to these events, going to the teas or meet the judges or things like that and handing my card out to everybody that I meet. Um, (laughs) 
Um, I met uh, some people at like a Facebook community boost event where I learned about Facebook marketing, but I also met bankers who introduced me to other people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it. So I've joined uh, some business networking uh, meetups on meetup.com. Mm-hmm. And so I've been giving my card out to all of those people and attending those events. So okay. I'm going to continue to do that in 2019. And you know, the one behind the business, we also have our meetup page um, on meetup. So you'll have to follow us and come to some of our events as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I did see the retreat. Oh, yeah. On your page. <laughs> Yes, we do have our annual retreat. Um, And so to that point, we have over 600 women in our network. Um, And I've noticed that many of them are either, um, well, of course, single or not in a relationship at all. And for the young ladies who are single... Um, what advice do you have? Because these are businesswomen. I mean, we have some phenomenal businesswomen in our group, right? What are some things that they should be mindful of before they jump into a relationship? Ooh. Like a, a lifelong relationship, not just like a little boyfriend or something. Okay. Um, <laughs> single woman and relationships. I would say... Before you get into a relationship, or if you're about to get into a relationship, you should definitely make sure that your partner is on the same page as you are. Um, so I'm in a relationship right now with someone who is completely supportive of everything that I do. So I can't imagine being in a relationship with someone where when you're up working at one o'clock at night, he's or she is moping around asking, like, when are you going to come to bed? When are you going to show me, you know, spend some quality time with me? So definitely be uh trying to get into a relationship with someone who is supportive of of you and of your business and of your goals. Um uh definitely um hmm I wasn't expecting this question. Well, I mean like even just from the legal side. So let's say that, you know, let's say you're a significant other proposes to you, you know, and you have a multi-million dollar business. You just like jump, like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) Or are there some provisions that you should be making to make sure that, yes, we're on the same page, but bruh, man, that's mine. I don't know. You tell me. So that sounds like a prenuptial agreement question. And so I have advised other friends of mine who, um, before starting their businesses or before their businesses were really um, profitable and they were getting married to definitely get prenuptial agreements. And these are other lawyers. And so I've said to them, like, I'm speaking objectively. You're in love right now. You definitely need a prenuptial agreement. So now I'm on the other side. And I, (laughs) as horrible as this sounds, I can't see myself asking for a prenuptial agreement. So I'm probably going to need some counsel (laughs) from one of my friends before I do anything serious. But I would say if you're getting into a serious relationship, like if you're about to get married and you have significant assets, you definitely want to take some steps to protect your assets. And um, in Maryland, that would definitely be a prenuptial agreement because once you get married, then you're... The income that you make um, from your business while you're married, a portion of that will belong to your husband or or your wife. 
if you haven't taken the proper precautions to protect yourself. Now, is it just your salary or is it like overall what the company makes? It would be what the company is worth. Okay. So then that leads me to my next question. Um, In another conversation I was having, someone mentioned that you can put the company into a trust before. Like, let's say you didn't want to do a prenup. But if your company is in a trust, does that still protect it? And so I have not dealt with the issue of putting companies into trust right now. So okay. I definitely have to refer Defer. you okay. to okay. somebody else who works with with uh, issues like that. Okay. All right. Now, I've asked about my single ladies. Now i got to ask about my married ladies. Um, so let's say that the example that you gave earlier, like, you know, you thought you were in a supportive relationship and then come to find out the guy that you're with. Now he's starting to complain about the time. You know, it's one o'clock in the morning. When are you, you know, coming to bed? You're not spending time with me. And then it just gets to the point where you're just like, you don't get it. Right. And so you're looking at potentially a divorce. What's a good way to go about divorce Again, when you have this successful company that you've started. So you would definitely need to speak with the divorce attorney because your um, partner is going to be entitled to some portion of the money that your business made um, while you were married. So you're going to need a divorce attorney, someone who's good at working with high net worth individuals so that Mm -hmm. they can value your business Mm -hmm. and try to shield as much of it from the hands of your spouse (laughs) as possible. Okay. Because he will have an attorney who is going to be trying to get um, what he believes to be his fair share of the business. And rightfully so, because you've been working on this business while you were married. Mm -hmm. Hopefully he's been supportive of you. He would be entitled to some portion of it. It's just a matter of how much. Now, what if he's the breadwinner? He still gets a portion of the business? So if he's making more money than you, mm-hmm. um, it's it's still marital property. So if he's so petty, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it wasn't petty, but uh, <laughs> he would still be. In, but you would um, you would probably try and ask for alimony, or if he has a business, you would um, probably try and get some portion of his business. Right. So okay, that's fair. I guess you know. All right. Um, let's see. So I think, like, I don't know, like, is there anything else that, like, outside of law that you're working on? Like, because I feel like we all have hobbies and we all have other things that we do. Like, what else do you do to just feel enriched? Somebody just asked me that yesterday, and my I, I don't even know what a hobby is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so after my son went to college in 2016, I started traveling. So I traveled for I traveled and worked for a year, just not on my business. Um, And I went to, I think, about 10 different countries. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was from 2016 to to the beginning of 2018. So that was my hobby, traveling, um, collecting passport stamps. But now um, I think when I'm not working, my hobby may be just reading a book or vegging out and trying not to think about work, Mm -hmm. um, which is... Hard. hard to do because um, there's always something to do in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to get back to the point where I have more work-life balance, but I don't see that happening uh, before 2020. Okay. Well, I think the first rule to 
overcoming is admitting that yes. <laughs> this is where I am and this is just what it is right now. Um, but thank you so much for sharing the wealth of information that you shared with us. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. It went fast, right? It did. <laughs> <laughs> when we return, we'll be introduced to the woman behind Perfect Time SHP. Stay with us. Welcome to the WBB Legal Minute featuring Nyasha West. She's the principal attorney at West Law Firm, where she specializes in business law and family law and bankruptcy. Today, we're going to have a quick conversation about the different ways to get your business established. Now, Nyasha, what are those different entities that you can choose from when it comes time to establish your business? The most popular Entities that most business owners um, choose to go with when forming their businesses are uh, sole proprietorship, LLCs, or a corporation. Um, And the entity that you choose depends on what the business is that you're getting into. If you're getting into a business where you'll have very low interaction with the public and therefore very low liability, um, then a sole proprietorship may be a good option for you. Um, If you're getting into any other business where you're going to be interacting with the public, um, selling them goods or services, then you would want to choose an LLC or a corporation. Um, And the reason is, is because um, with those entities, the business owner is personally protected. So your assets are personally protected. So if I have a business and my business is a store and somebody comes into my store and slips and falls, if I have an LLC or a corporation, the person who slipped and fell would sue the company and they wouldn't sue me. Mm -hmm. So what this means is that my house and my personal assets are protected and they would be limited to the assets of the of the The company. company. Yes. Okay. Now, really quickly, what's the difference between an S Corp and a Corp? So an S Corp is a corporation that doesn't have self-employment taxes, um, whereas a corporation has a whole host of other um of other taxes that the um, business would have to pay. Um, the biggest problem, not problem, but with uh, C corporations, um, the business owner may be subjected to double taxation mm-hmm. um, on their dividends. With the S corp, um, they wouldn't be subjected to double taxation. Okay. All right. Wonderful. This was great. Thank you so much for sharing this legal minute with us. You're welcome. All right. To learn more, how do people get in contact with you? You can contact me at the West Law Firm. My website address is nawestlaw.com or my telephone number is 301-798-4100. All right. Awesome. Thank you. And stay tuned for the rest of The Woman Behind the Business. Welcome back to the Woman Behind the Business talk show. I'm your host, Angel Ivis, and we just wrapped up a conversation with business and family lawyer, Nyasha West. Now we're going to get educated about leadership development. Dr. Sharon Porter is the owner of Perfect Time SHP, a consulting, coaching, and book publishing firm. After spending nearly over 25 years in the school system, she's transitioned into providing leadership coaching to mid-level school administrators. She is the host of the I Am Dr. Sharon interview show and the author of a host of books, including The Power of Networking, How to Achieve Success with Business Networking, Next in Line to Lead, The Voice of the Assistant Principal, and Women Who Lead, Extraordinary Women with Extraordinary Results. 
Dr. Sharon holds a National Association of Elementary School Principal Mentor Certification and is a certified Gallup Strengths Coach. She is also an official member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sharon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Now, first, let me start off by congratulating you on your recent membership into the National Society of Leadership and Success at Walden University. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you have a very impressive career in education. What would you say is what attracted you to education? Um, Well, it was undoubtedly my fourth grade teacher, um, without a doubt. Um, I can remember sitting on the floor. She was reading Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing by Judy Bloom, And I just looked at her and I was like, wow, I'm going to become a fourth grade teacher. And that stuck with me um, throughout. And that's what I went to school for. I student taught in fourth grade. I had a fourth grade class for my first year. And it was just the love that she shared and demonstrated and her knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely my fourth grade teacher. Miss Mullet, I got to shout her out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that experience groomed you at a very young age. What would you say are the things that we can do as parents, as well as in the education system to ensure that kids have these enriching experiences to really shape them? Absolutely. Um, As a parent, um, you really have to invest the time. I cannot stress that enough. Um, Sharing of the homework. And that's always a dreaded time for a lot of parents, but definitely investing the time in your child and also making a presence in the school. Um, And I know that as working adults, we don't have a lot of time, but we make time for what's we need to. Mm-hmm. And so I would say make sure that, you know, whether it's a parent teacher conference or it's just a pop in mm-hmm. or scheduled time to make sure that you have a relationship with that teacher, that child's principal and just establishing that you're there for the best of, of your child. Once the educators know that you will see a difference. Wow. <laughs> now, even in the children. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When they know that their mom or their dad will oh, have a relationship. Be on the app, right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. OK, so you spent 25 years in that world. What made you transition out? Well, I haven't transitioned out. Well, you're no longer in the schools per se, but now you're teaching leadership as a consultant. That's correct. Yes, I am um, very still connected. Um, But what it is with anything uh, with promotion with life, um, it was an awesome opportunity. Um, This is only my fifth year out of a school. I was Mm -hmm. a building principal for nine years and an assistant principal for nine years. And I absolutely love that. And that was in Maryland as well as in North Carolina. Um, When uh, I returned back to Maryland because I went uh, to North Carolina for about two and a half years, Mm -hmm. I spent one year on the base on Joint Base Andrews um, as the principal of the school there. And um, an opportunity came to be a principal coach. And what awesome opportunity there is to help develop our new principals and our new assistant principals. And so that's what I've been doing for five years. And I absolutely love it. Now, are there anything or is there anything that parents should do when we are moving into a new school system and we're observing where we want to send our kids, whether it's the public schools or private schools, when it comes to the administration or when it comes to the teachers, what should we be looking for? Absolutely. You want to um, be in a school where there is truly an open door policy um, that you feel comfortable with speaking with the teachers and with the administration. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't make an appointment because you can't just pop in and 
didn't expect them to be available. Okay. Um, but they should be open and transparent enough to let you know that and to say, you know, I can't see you right now, but make an appointment and, and we'll be glad to speak with you. That's mm-hmm. the first thing okay. is definitely being um, open mm-hmm. on the school. And also you want to make sure that the teachers that you have and not only that you have currently, because if especially if it's a younger child, if that child is going to go from grade to grade, you need to be concerned with all of the teachers because we're only as strong as the weakest link. Mm-hmm. And I just believe that mm-hmm. um, we can't be great as a school if you don't have great teachers and if you don't have great leaders. Um, so you want to make sure that that development of those teachers, because unfortunately, you do have educators that are there for the paycheck. It's not a lot of money, but, you know, if that's what you have. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell those educators who don't have the passion for teaching and for children because we don't teach subjects. We teach children. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make sure that your child's teacher have that heart in mind and that the administrator is equipped enough to make sure that instruction is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, because if the, te- the administrator is not equipped, then anything can be happening in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But that administrator has to be very aware of what's going on in their building. Now, what can you do if you um, have noticed that the teacher is not really passionate about working with your child? You know, is there anything that you can do? You know, should you say something or is it just like oh, this, the teacher for the year? This is what we're stuck with. <laughs> you absolutely should say something, but you should start with the teacher. Okay. Um, it's nothing worse um, than being a classroom teacher and you have a problem, but you go straight to the principal. <laughs> start where the problem is. And then if you don't get what you need, then you go, you know, up to the next level. But start with the uh, teacher, because first of all, Educators are human. And if they know that there's a problem and maybe they don't see it or they have not been told, they can make some changes, um, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, classroom management. That's a huge issue mm-hmm. um, in the classroom, especially with our new teachers and not all new, but it's an issue. And we know if we don't have if we can't manage the classrooms, there is no teaching going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if uh, there are some issues, you definitely need to speak with the teacher. If that doesn't work, then you need to speak with the administration in that building, whether it's an assistant principal or a principal. Mm -hmm. Speak with them um, and hopefully changes will be made. But there is a change of line because then the principals have supervisors as well. Mm -hmm. So you should not stop as a parent um, when it's the best for your child. Now, I think that there are a lot of non-vocal parents out there. Um, There are people like me who I'm going to speak my mind. You're going to know whether this is good or if it's not. But I feel like there are a lot of people who are afraid of their children being retaliated against. If I go to you and I say, hey, I'm not OK with, you know, the way this is being done or the way this is being handled, then I have to worry about how you're going to be treating my child while I'm not present. How, how do you deal with that? And, and this is great because we got an attorney and family <laughs> law and we got educators. So how, how do you handle that? That is a real issue. And unfortunately, it's real. Um, mm-hmm. That concern is real. Um, you still, you cannot allow that fear to stop you from making the point because there are provisions made, whether legal <laughs> or, you know, concessions that are made um, for that because you can't, it's just, and it's just in anything, you can't 
be afraid to speak because of what's going to occur afterwards. I feel as a parent, you take that risk because you must want what's best for that child. And if it's changing the classroom, which administrators hate, Mm -hmm. but if that's what's best for your child, then that's what you ask for. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's changing whatever it is, maybe um, there are certain situations because a lot of times you have other students that causes issues with your child and not necessarily a teacher student issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with that head on Mm -hmm. Um, and you you have to document as in anything um, so that when you come to that administrator, you have specifics that you provide, whether it's date, whether it's time when your child comes home. And that's another thing. When your child comes home, you need to talk with them. Mm-hmm. Talk with them specifically to find out how their day went and ask specific questions, um, because that's one of the things that we don't do enough as parents is actually talk to our children about our day in school mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. That's a necessity mm-hmm. to find out what's going on. So I would not be afraid of the retaliation because there are provisions made to protect you from that. Do you have any insight or anything you want to add I asked her. Um, so I don't deal. I don't deal with this attorney. Uh, I don't deal with this issue as a lawyer, but just as a parent, um, I totally agree. Um, and I believe that you definitely have to be an advocate for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime, anytime you feel that something is not right in your child's classroom, I um, agree that you should go and talk to your child's uh, teacher. And if that doesn't work. And as I've had to do in the past, call a meeting with the child's teacher, the principal, the vice principal, and find out what's going on and how we're going to correct this issue immediately. Right. Now, how have you seen family dynamics impact children? Well, you know, um, it's not what everyone always thinks. For example, one parent households are not children are not all over the place with that because you have some households that are intact mm-hmm. <laughs> that children are having issues. Um, so it's really not a prescribed family di- di- dynamic that um, you can look for. Um, you have to deal with each child individually and what they bring. Um, you know, we have uh, children that come from homes where there are one parent and that parent is working two jobs. And so maybe the older sibling is the caretaker and the caregiver um, throughout the night. And then you may find, again, that that older child, that's the child that's tired in class, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you have to really take it child by child and and not really be concerned with the dynamics, per se, until you find out that that's really the issue. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. you can't just say, you know, I'm from a single family home, so I'm going to have problems. That's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would not use that as the overarching issue to look for problems. Uh Um, So definitely um, individually, because you, again, you have two parent homes where children are off the hook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Parents Mm -hmm. are there every day, you know, so that's not for me. That's not a um, red flag on how the dynamics of the families are Um, just dealing with the child individually and the issues that they bring. And to find out the root of the problem is the is what I would suggest. Okay. Now, you are also an author. What sparked your desire to start writing? So, you know, I, I've got to give a shout out to Taria Avant. Um, she uh, has a system mastery program, basically. Um, I was in network marketing. I actually I still am. I love network marketing. And she was contributing. She was uh, compiling a book of network marketers 
to talk about the process, not necessarily the company, but just why you were in that network marketing. I did and what that. is network marketing? Um, network marketing is a um, business that you will uh, generate income from getting more people in the okay. business, such mm-hmm. as your Avon, such as your Mary Kay's, your Total Life Changes, those things like that. Okay. And so um, she put out, you know, this invitation to be a part of this book. And I did that. And when I tell you after this process, I was like, wow, I loved it. It was something that clicked in me. um, And I vowed to learn to do it, to really perfect the whole writing and authoring. And I wanted to help others do the same. And that's really how my company was born. Um, My publishing company was for me. And also after that, I was in several other publications Mm -hmm. and the fee was incredibly large. And I don't down people for that, but I knew that there was a better way. And so I offer affordable opportunities for publishing your book. Um, And I think the author bug, when it bit me, it did not let me go because I absolutely love it. And now not only for writing, but helping others write. Mm-hmm. That's what I enjoy now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you you founded a company doing that, right? Perfect Time SHP, um, coaching, consulting, and book publishing firm. But I thought it was also one that was... Uh, Write? Write the book now. Yes. Yes. That's the <laughs> author's retreat and that's the podcast. Okay. Um, but the actual company is Perfect Time Publishing. Um, and so what I do, I have my little, <laughs> all of my stuff broken down in three, um, what I call a three-point thrust, educators, authors, and entrepreneurs. Okay. And so the Write the Book Now is the um, author's retreat um, and also my podcast that I have um, for aspiring and actual authors. Okay. So Wonderful, wonderful. Um, All right. Now, you also have your entrepreneurial. The Grind. Yes. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about The Grind. I love The Grind Entrepreneur Network. Um, That is an an entrepreneur forum that specifically focuses on edupreneurs, my educators who are also entrepreneurs. Um, I love my edupreneurs because we are so talented, so multi-skilled. And I just encourage my educators out there not to give it all to a school or a school district. Um, I encourage them to look beyond their nine to five, take those skills and build another stream of income for you. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not going to always be doing what we're doing in school districts. Mm -hmm. And so and it's not just educational entrepreneur, not just coaching or tutoring, but whatever your passion is. Mm -hmm. I encourage them to do that. In the grind, we have jewelry makers. We have stand up comedians. We have so many different entrepreneurs that in their nine to five, they're in classroom teachers or their principals. Mm -hmm. But they have found a passion to do outside of that work. And we also have entrepreneurs that stick to the education as well. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So much. (laughs) All right. Now, what would you say is next for you? Oh, my goodness. You know, I take it day by day. I do. I do long range plan, but I really ask God to just direct my path because, Mm -hmm. number one, I love what I do. And some people always ask, you know, so why don't you try to do what you're doing full time? I absolutely love working for a school district. 
absolutely love it. Now, that's not to say that in a few years <laughs> that I may not, but right now I love it. And so what I really want to do is expand what I'm doing. Um, um, as you know, I have a, a talk show um, that uh, I do every week, which I love to. I found that media is, has been a love as well. Um, and I really am working on uh, creating my own studio. So mm-hmm. that's really the next step for me. I'm in the process of doing that now, um, of renovating um, my uh, coaching firm mm-hmm. and building a studio. Awesome. Uh, and so that's really my very next step. <laughs> Love it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right, ladies. Well, we have come to the point in the show where it is time for us to share our valley moments. Um, your valley moment is a point in time where you did not know how you were going to overcome a particular situation. So we want to know what that situation was, how you overcame it, and what was waiting for you on the other side. So while you take a moment and think about that, we're going to toss to this quick music break. You can win as long as you keep your head to the sky. Be optimistic. When in the midst of sorrow, you can see a Through the dice, do it like I was on the 
Living in ambition on a mission impossible Envision optimism through a prism that's optical To see through obstacles and be remarkable Living in for the infinite, intuit of the intimate Influenced by the sentiment, sent to it, surrendered it Surrendered it to the sky, centered in my eye Living in the glory and the story of a warrior Victoria, the more we love From how poor we was to euphoria Kicking the door because we think notorious Welcome back, ladies. Are we ready? Yes. All right. Nayasha. So my Valley moment occurred when um, I was about 23 years old. So about 20 years ago, I had a 10-month-old son. I was living in California, where I am not from, with my husband. um, And his family was my family, but I didn't have any of my own family there. Um, And so... I was a stay-at-home mom, and I relied solely on my husband for, um, you know, his income um, while I still stayed home with the baby. Um, so when my son was about 10 months old, my husband decided that he did not want to be a husband and a father anymore. And so he left us. And so here I am, 23 years old in the States with a young baby and no family. And I had no idea what I was going to do for food or money or anything. Um, And luckily, his family um, is the type of family that felt, you know, when you divorce the man, you don't divorce the family. So until I got back to my family in New York, his family completely took care of us. So they came and they cleaned out our apartment. I moved in with his niece. Um, they fed me and my son. Um, my mother gave me plane fare to get back home. Um, so then I moved back into my mother's apartment and I uh, got a job. And this was about a year before I decided to go to law school. Um, so then from there, I you know went to law school and the rest is history. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. So it shows that there still are good people in the world. Definitely. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for sharing your Valley moment with us. My pleasure. (laughs) 
All right, Dr. Sharon. Yes. So mine would have to be between, actually, I'll say 2011. <coughs> I have to go back. My father passed in 2008. I was right in the middle of writing my dissertation, actually getting ready to start writing my dissertation. And um, he passed and I just shut down, totally shut down. Um, I just I've always been a get up and go kind of person, just driven. And I had no motivation after that. Um, I actually spent another three years in a doctoral program without finishing my doctorate. Um, and I just, I just wasn't motivated. Um, that was the, um, definitely the valley part of my life. Um, and I, that's when I relocated back to North Carolina for about two and a half years just to, you know, try to get myself together, be around my family. Um, and I actually thought I was going to stay down there, but something happened in 2011. And I said, you know, I'm going to come back to Maryland. Um, my mom has, she's doing great. You know, she's out of her funk basically, you know, cause when he was the provider for our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came back to Maryland, 2011, um, that's when I started, uh, being a principal on joint base Andrews. And I received an email very shortly after that for 50% scholarship tuition for the doctoral program at Howard university. And I cried, actually. Um, And I was saying to myself, can I really do this? Because I would have to start all over again. The work, the coursework, everything all over again. And I'm and it was like grueling. (laughs) But needless to say, 2014, I, I enrolled in Howard University doctoral program. Three years later, I finished. And that was the most rewarding thing because I tell everyone, it took me nine years to get a doctorate, six years from when I didn't get it, and then three additional years at Howard. Um, But the lesson for me is that delayed is not denied and that no matter what it is, as long as you have it in your heart to do and you have a plan to do it, you have to keep grinding to get it done. And so I overcame that by really snapping myself back to reality to say my dad did not raise a quitter. Mm-hmm. And I had to bring that back to him. And in his honor, I had to finish. He didn't raise a quitter. So I didn't care how long it took me. I was going to finish. And so I overcame that valley experience just by tapping into what I knew what my father wanted. Wow. Well, thank you, ladies, both for sharing those very powerful testimonies. Um, part of why we do this is we know that our um, valleys is somebody else's hope, because not only is it something that you made it through, but you've now shown it, you've now shared it, um, and you've made it through. And so we're giving other people hope that, hey, whatever you're going through, there's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You can make it through because we've made it through. So thank you both for sharing. All right. Well, thank you. That is pretty much the end of our show. Would you like to share your social media information or business information so people know how to get in contact with you? Sure. My website is www.nawestlaw.com. And I am on Instagram at West Law Firm LLC and Facebook at West Law Firm LLC. Awesome. And uh, all across social media, I am at I am Dr. Sharon, and that's D R 
Sharon. Um, and also my website is SharonHPorter.com. That will take you to everything <laughs> that I do. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, ladies, both for being a guest on The Woman Behind the Business. That is our show for today. Um, please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, WBBTalk.com. And you can let other people know that they can now follow our podcast, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Of course, follow us on social media at WBBTalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Kyle Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed. Thank mm-hmm. you.